0: and turn back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I want to really bring this morning's message to a conclusion and really help us in preparation for our Lord's table and thinking about the gracious words that He has said to us. Ephesians 4, verse 29, the Scripture says, "...let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear." And this morning I really was introducing and still introducing This new man's speech, but one of the things that we brought out this morning was, is that in a congregation, there is to be no useless word out of its mouth. And of course, that applies not only to our one another interactions, right, that are all throughout our New Testament, but it also applies from the pulpit, that nothing unwholesome useless, unprofitable, corruptible, translated in some places by the word bad, speech is to come out of our mouths. No useless word out of the mouth of the congregation. Nothing is to go out of our mouth in that way. And we saw uh, three things here this morning in order to try to impress upon us the priority of our giving attention to this. And I just want to speak to our young people here. This is critical for all of us. But I want to encourage, especially our young people, to begin in their youth to do this and to learn this. The older you get and the more set you are in your ways the more difficult it is to change the pattern of our speaking. It's not impossible. All things are possible with God. And we do understand that James says, no man is able to fully bridle the tongue. But really, to start in your youth teaching yourself to speak internally to yourself properly, scripturally, and to be controlled in what you say out of your mouth. And if you would do that, it would certainly be a gift to you and would be a gift to all your future relationships in the Lord in this life. And when we stand before Him, He, of course, will be well pleased with that. But we saw, number one, that words are the fruit of the abundance of our heart. A good tree brings forth good what? Good fruit. And our Lord says that He is referring to our speech. A person that has the good treasure of Christ within them will habitually and will be in a growing uh, transformation for those good things to come out of their mouths. But a bad tree brings forth what kind of speech? Bad fruit bad speech so words are the fruit of the abundance of our heart and if you shake it up enough <laughs> the words will come out like a shook up coke bottle that you unpop the top and it will come out secondly the fruit of the spirit is firstly seen from the fruit of our lips The Holy Spirit works to fill us internally. And the way out, as it were, of our internal inner man is through our throat and tongue. That is where it flows out. And if you look at Romans chapter 3, we won't turn there, but if you look in Romans 3, it speaks of the depravity of man and it says their throat is an open sepulchre with their tongues, they have spoken deceit. So what he's doing is he's moving from the inner man, throat to the tongue, and he ends up there with our walk, the way of peace they have not known. So he's proceeding right from the inner man, right out through our speech, right out to our actions, the work of our hands, and finally the direction of our feet. The fruit of the Spirit is firstly seen from the fruit of our lips. So, if you are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and part of that fruit is kindness, then you are going to have what kind of speech? If you're a kind person, you're going to have kind speech. If your heart is modest, then you're going to have modesty in your speech. If your heart is quieted, you're going to have quieted speech. If your heart is full of thanksgiving, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? Thankfulness is going to come out of your mouth. And so this is firstly seen from the fruit of our lips. And then thirdly, we concluded this morning by saying that words are for building up one another in sanctification and Growth. We are to be speaking the truth in love. This is what the church body is to be given their exercise to. And we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, among other passages, that we are to do everything for edification. How much? Everything. Everything is for building up one another, not tearing one another down, not destroying that uh, of another person with our speech, but the building up for one another. And in fact, Paul said, even if Paul has to rebuke, he says that God has given me this authority not for tearing you down, my brethren, but for building you up. In the things of the Lord. And so this is really our aim. And brethren, you know this, do you not? <clears throat> anybody can tear down, anybody can point out wrong, any person can voice a disagreement. But building, that's more difficult. And we are to build up one another, or as Ephesians 4 says, what does that mean? To grow up in Him in all things. We are to be assisting one another in doing that. And folks, that means that church is a vital part of our life for our sanctification. Our interactions one with another are part of that, as it were, that sandpaper in which we get to exhibit our gifts to one another, the fruit of the Spirit to one another, learning how to speak to one another. All of that incurs within the body of Jesus Christ within a local New Testament assembly. Now, as I concluded this morning... this is not something that's insignificant in our lives. It is something that has been neglected in the life of the church. And it is something that has not been given priority within the life of a church. But this is perhaps the most significant thing. And we learned that we're going to give an account to our Lord for every unwholesome word that we say and that can be verbally or it could be internally Now, only God knows ultimately the workings inside our heart right but we speak to ourselves in our heart and we listen to the thoughts that enter into our minds we interact with those things Because we're going to be justified or we're going to be condemned by our what? Our words, our speech. And it is overwhelming to think that God has recorded everything that we've ever thought or said. And just the thought of that brings shame to my soul. And to thank, O Lord, if You would mark iniquity, who would stand? No man would stand before Him. Now I want to bring this morning's message to a conclusion by turning to the book of James. (coughs) Now I have four things here from the book of James. And if you recall, James, as the pastor of this assembly, this house church within Jerusalem, was really dealing with some significant problems within the congregation. But I want us to know what I read this morning in James chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious... and yet does not bridle his tongue, but does what to their own heart? Deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Worthless. And that teaches us several things, but one of the things it does teach us is is that the Holy Spirit is interested In both teaching you how to speak, correcting how you speak and what you say, and conforming that part of your life into the image of Christ. And if we don't bridle our tongue, if we're just blurting out, saying like it is all the time, and that is our habitual pattern, there's no bridle on our tongue, then our profession of religion can be deceitful, can it? It's not doing any good for us if that occurs. Worthless, habitual speech betrays a person's worthless religion. The second thing James can bring out to us is in James chapter 3. He says, "...let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment." Now note verse 2. "...for we all stumble in many ways." If anyone does not stumble in what he says. Everybody see that? Now in context, it's a teacher. The most godly teacher, he's going to stumble. They may not want to stumble, but we do, don't we? We all stumble in many ways. Now, if you don't stumble in what you say, He is a what kind of man? He's a perfect man. Now that word perfect doesn't mean sinless. That word perfect means mature. And folks, what that draws us to understand is this. Sound speech in heart and tongue is a mark of maturity. Does everybody hear that? How would you judge a person's spiritual maturity? You would judge it by their words. By their words. How do they handle those words? And folks, you'll notice that it says He is a perfect man. And whenever I read that word there, it immediately makes me think of James chapter 1, Verse 4, when it says, For the brethren to count it all joy when you encounter various trials, and let endurance have its perfect work, so that you may be what? And complete. You may be perfect. Same Greek term. And folks, one of the ways that we really struggle with our speech is when we're under trial. Would you agree with that? When we're under trial, That's really where we begin to see our fallacies and our sin come out, especially if it's long duration. It's so easy just to kind of blurt out our dissatisfactions. No, let that trial produce endurance. And as it produces endurance, it will produce what in us? Maturity. Maturity in the things of the Lord. Now folks, in James chapter 3, it says something very interesting about our tongues. And our tongues are connected to our heart. What it says is, is that our tongue... Drives our walk. Our tongue drives our walk. In other words, what we say internally and what ultimately comes out of our mouth is what drives the path of our feet. And you'll see that here when he says in verse 3 of James 3. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's what? Mouth. We put the bit into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us. In other words, we can direct the entire horse <laughs> by a bit that we put where? The On the mouth. Does everybody see that? You're driving the horse wherever you want it to go. You want it to go to the right, you got the bit, you pull on that. I'm not a horse expert, okay? What little bit I know, I learned from my wife, okay? So she'll probably help me out after the service, okay? But <clears throat> I, I'm thinking if you want to go to the right, you kind of pull on that bit on the right, and it pulls on that in the mouth, and the horse knows what? To go that way. Not just the mouth, the whole horse goes that way. Well, look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Okay, So everybody got this in mind. Even the big, I don't know if you've ever seen a big ship today. But they have rudders back there. You've got this huge ship. And you want to direct that ship to go in a certain direction. There's the pilot. You think about one of those old-time sailing boats. And he's just got a little thing that he turns, right? He turns that way. What does that do? It turns the little member of that rudder this way or that way, and it turns the whole what? It turns the whole ship. Alright brother, you have a little rudder and it is a small member and it is in your mouth. And that small rudder controls your whole body. What you're saying to yourself or what you're saying to others Let me just give you an example. Here's a person and he's in prison. He's in prison because he has been convicted of a very gruesome murder. He took a knife and he actually butchered somebody to death. Where did that originate? Did he just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to go butcher somebody? Folks, what is the origin of murder according to the Lord? Anger. Where does anger come from? It comes from the heart of a person. So here, here, here's a general pattern. What happens is <clears throat> that person's there, that person has done something. Whether they've done it right, and it was right, or whether they did it wrongly, the person took an offense. <clears throat> and in their heart, in their mind, they registered the offense. They thought about the offense. Everybody following me? When you think about an offense, you're feeding it. The offense <clears throat> becomes greater. And that person says in their heart, I'm going to get even. Now all of this thus far is going on where? Inside of that person. But they're talking to themselves. That getting even becomes more and more motivated within them to where they're laying on their bed and they decide, I'm going to kill them. So what do they do now? they start speaking to themselves on how they're going to do it. Everybody follow me thus far? It's all words that's being spoken internally. Now, that person may actually go to another person and tell them, this guy did that. And I'm going to get even. Now he's verbalizing it, what? He's verbalizing the internal thought verbally. To the place where that hatred becomes so controlling that he would actually take up a knife and do the unimaginable thing of actually killing another human being. But, folks, where did it start? It started in the heart. Where was it fed? It was fed in the mind. Did it ever come out? Well, they talked about it. And folks, that's one reason, I'm sure, even though the world doesn't think this way, I'm sure that is one reason why medical professionals, if a patient ever says... I want to kill myself. They take it very seriously. Why? They're thinking about it. Right? They're thinking about it. And folks, this is is what we have to understand. Is that the things that we say to ourselves... Now, your sinful nature will say you can control it. Anybody ever heard that? It's okay. You can control it. No, you can't. Because as you think on it, and you feed it, and you don't give it scriptural answers, it becomes controlling. This little member in our body can set your soul on fire. It can set your soul on fire. And here's the thing about <clears throat> our tongues, it can set other people's kindling on fire. <laughs> right? You can say something to someone, and our response is our response is always this way you take sides. Our first response in hearing anything is we decide you're, they're right or they're not. And you can get someone else inflamed about what you're inflamed about. The tongue drives our walk, <clears throat> it can set our sinful nature aflame. And our tongues can defile our whole body. It can be destructive. And folks, I want to remind you that this is the way you used to live. Right? Before you were saved, you didn't care whether you inflamed people or whether you didn't. You were just going to win the rat race. You were going to win the argument. You were going to make them bow to you instead of how can i bring this situation into conformity of christ this is going on as we speak to ourselves as we converse with our hearts and as we speak with our lips thirdly if you turn to james chapter 4 and verse 11 <coughs> James is very emphatic about this. He says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, you're a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What this is talking about is you passing sentence on another person. And if I was to ask, have you ever done that? We all would be nodding our heads yes. We are not to do that. We are not to judge our brother. We're not to be seeking to destroy that brother by our speech at all. And this is what was going on here in this church. If you look at the top of chapter 4, it says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your what? Your pleasures that wage war in your members. The source of conflict isn't them. The source of conflict is inside of you. And this is what we need to engage. Lastly in James, in James chapter 3 and verse 13, This is how we determine who's wise and has understanding. In James 3, verse 13, coming right out of this passage about a fig tree producing olives, or a vine producing figs, or salt water producing fresh, talking about our speech, he says, verse 13, "...who among you is wise and understanding?" Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, where? In your heart. Don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. Verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make wife. In other words, folks, if really in your conversation you're trying to bring the peace of God and the peace with God into the situation, you sow by what you say in that situation. And a wise man, an understanding man, knows how to speak to that particular situation to bring about the fruit What's the fruit? Righteousness. Now, can the person reject it? The person can reject it, but that's the aim that you have in the situation. Brethren, the thing that we need to do is to shepherd our own heart. Shepherd what you're conversing in your heart. Bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. Is this hard? It's impossible. <laughs> no man can tame the tongue. That only leaves one left. Who? God. God can tame your tongue. God can so move in your heart so that you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord as would be seen by your speech. This is how you judge leadership. It's not, do they have great talents? Do they have great abilities? Have they been successful in the world? No. You want a man whose speech is wise and with understanding. Understanding that no man is perfect. But that is what you want. We need to shepherd our own heart. And brethren, if you would shepherd your own heart, you would learn how to shepherd other people's hearts. Did we hear that? There's a book out. I've read it. I love the title of it. Don't agree with everything in it. called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Every parent knows that's what you're supposed to do. Right, parents? (laughs) But you learn how to do it by shepherding your own. Shepherding our own. And brethren, our Lord desires for us to do that as a church body. To grow in it. To make mistakes in it, I'm sure. To learn how to speak and talk rightly, how to think rightly, how to walk rightly, because what's in our minds and in our hearts comes out of our lips and what comes out of our minds and hearts through our mouths is the rudder that directs your feet. Now folks, there is a place that we can go that is completely refreshing in this way. And I want you to turn to John 12. I want to turn there and then one other passage and then we'll be doing the ordinance of the Lord's table. In John chapter 12, toward the end of that chapter, this is right prior to what we call the upper room discourse. Our Lord is speaking out publicly. In verse 44, He cries out and says, He who believes in Me does not believe in Me, but in Him who sent Me. Verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Verse 47, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, he doesn't judge them. The sayings, the word that he says will judge them. But I want you to notice the last two verses in this chapter. He says in verse 49, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father Himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to I can't, I can't imagine always saying the Father's mind. The Father has given a commandment to the Son of God, the man Jesus Christ, on what to say and what to speak. Would He do that for you and me? He would. He would teach us, like He taught Moses, what to say and what to speak. This commandment as to what to say and what to speak, verse 50, I know that His commandment is eternal life. Therefore the things I speak I speak just as the Father has told me. Now there's a lot here in this passage, but this one thing I love. God the Father gave God the Son a commandment on what to say and what to speak, and the Son of God knows that that commandment, what to say and what to speak, is eternal life. Now folks, he's not saying that the commandment will give eternal life. He's saying the very words are eternal life. And that's what I mean is that there is a place we can go and know that every word of our God is life to us. Everybody see that? It is life to us. Though we may not completely understand, though it may chafe against our spirit, the intent of God's Word is life eternal in the one who hears. That is the intent. It's not intended to hurt us. It's not intended to destroy us. It's intended to build us up either to salvation or build us up in sanctification. It is intended to do a work inside of us in conforming us into the image of His dear Son. And folks, I am so thankful that there is a place in this fallen world that I can be assured that everything that that person says to me is life. Life to me for the glory of God. Brethren, 1 Corinthians 15 states that under the sun... We are life receivers. Adam was made a living soul. Adam's body was a life receiver. But then he says, But the second Adam is a life giver. Under the sun, we receive life, right? But one day with Him, in the new heaven and the new earth, everything we do and everything we say and everything we think will be life-giving for the glory of God. Now I want you to turn to Psalm 19. This afternoon... My wife and I were going home, and my wife actually quoted this passage. And I thought, yes, this is really a good expression of our heart. Now, you're familiar with Psalm 19. The first six verses are dealing with what theologians call general revelation. And you'll notice in verse 2 that the heavens day to day pour for speech. Everybody see that? Every day, 24-7, all over the world, the creation is saying things to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Then in verses 7-11 through 11, we have what is called specific revelation or special revelation. And You'll notice in verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect <clears throat> restoring the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure. Folks, when we're talking about the testimony of the Lord when we're talking about the law of the Lord when we're talking about the precepts of the Lord we're talking about words, aren't we? So is creation speaking? Is the Scripture speaking? So what does the psalmist walk away from? Knowing that the creation is speaking of the glories of God and His handiwork and knowing that the Bible that he has is the special revelation of God to man, what does He walk away with? Well, that's given to us in verses 12-14, through 14, and I just want to read the last verse. This is what He walks away with. Because the heavens are speaking, God is speaking, but what about me? Let the words of my mouth and the what of my heart What you're saying internally. Let the words of my mouth and what I'm saying in my heart, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In other words, he wants his mouth and his heart to be in tune. Well, what the creation is saying about the glory of God and what the special revelation is speaking concerning God and who He is. Oh Lord, may what I'm meditating on and may what I say be acceptable to You. Wouldn't that be a good prayer for us? Wouldn't it be good if for several weeks maybe you just took that prayer to yourself and prayed that for yourself and really asked the Lord to do that work inside of you, to grow you up in this, and to be willing to accept the instruction of the Lord in what you think in your heart and what you say with your mouth. Let's bow our heads and pray.